Are you registered for Culture Proof Conference 2024? Well, you need to get registered today. We are super excited about our first ever conference that's coming to Faith Baptist in Bartlett, Tennessee. Yes, July 18th through the 20th. And we're open, wide open. So go to cultureproof.net right now and register. Yeah, that's right. And I say the first ever conference. It's the first ever Culture Proof Conference. But everything that you love about the types of conferences that the Addisons produce all remains intact. Some of our speakers this year include the incredible Dr. Kathy Cook. Abraham Hamilton III. Dr. Renton Rathbun. Dr. Lee Brand. And Israel Wayne. And not to mention our extraordinary Culture Proof Kids and Teens tracks facilitated by Maria Hamilton. The third. And Mark and Amy (laughs) Warren. You're going to want to make sure you register. When registration fills up for those tracks, the kids tracks, we close them down because we want our classrooms to be functional and we want our kids to get the most out of those classrooms. All right, question. Mm-hmm. Is functional a word? No, probably not. So fu- functional. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that's all right. I just want to, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, don't let her do it. Oh, Lord. Um, when you don't have a red line in your brain, you're just going to leave it. Okay. We want to see you in Bartlett, Tennessee at Faith Baptist Church, July 18th through the 20th. That's right. Go to cultureproof.net. Culture Proof is brought to you by BJU Press Homeschool. If you've come to homeschooling or you're thinking of homeschooling to preserve a solid biblical worldview in your children, you should consider the curriculum we trust to help with biblical worldview formation. BJU Press Homeschool is here for you and with you as you center Christ in the education of your kids. Visit our friends today at BJUPressHomeschool.com. That's BJUPressHomeschool.com, the premier sponsor of the Culture Proof podcast. Thank you for listening to Culture Proof. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And today we are doing something that has become a bit of a tradition (laughs) for us, and that is premiering the first episode of a podcast that our family loves and enjoys thoroughly, and that is The Compelled Podcast. It is produced and directed by Paul Hastings. Paul, you you do a little bit of all of it, don't you? I mean... Yeah, I guess so. I don't know if I call it directing, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, can you go back and say that again? Can you do that? Yeah, that's directing. Yeah. Can you just make that yeah. point again? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's directing. I don't know. It's directing perhaps, yeah. Well, for the glory of God, whatever Amen. it is that you guys are doing, it is bringing glory to God and it's focusing on the kingdom of God and we are so excited about it. Mm. Um, this is, again, the third time that we've premiered um, a compelled season. And so we're super excited about that. One of the things that I want to say before we get into um, this incredible premiere is, right? Yeah, Yeah, you heard anticipating, um, is that I thought it was really neat that you and Sarah did a behind the scenes for Compelled. I would would love for you to talk about that just a little bit, because I got to say, even though this is the third time that we are premiering Compelled, I learned some information about you guys that I thought was really important. Um, Talk a little bit about how you guys work together and 
maybe just a little snippet of the behind the scenes, how Compelled came to be. Sure, sure. Yeah, so it's funny, like when people do ministry with their spouse, like most folks that are on the outside really have no idea, like, oh, you know, it's actually really messy and like detailed in, in the back end because like, you know, there's kids that are screaming and there's <laughs> diapers to change and there's like all of this life that needs to happen. And the younger your kids are, the more chaos that actually happens. And so, um, you know, and it's the same thing for you guys too. You guys have young kids and older kids. It's just mm-hmm. real tricky, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes people just have this like, oh, this this big picture what goes out. So like right here, this this is our podcast studio. But when I say <laughs> podcast studio, I mean this is also the homeschool supply room. Look, guys, no one's ever seen this before. Look at this. Look at this. So here here's our here's our office, right? This is love all it. of our Christmas decorations, yes. clothing, That's it. decor, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Here's my here's my, my bookshelf right here. But like we ran out of space in our house. We live in a single wide mobile home. So like literally, <laughs> it's three books deep back there, right? Three books it's, uh, deep. Like, wow. Three books deep. Here's our homeschool shelf. Bunch of piano books. Bunch of random stuff going <laughs> Man, on. I, I mean, this. So like, this is this is the very raw and uh, you know authentic, uh, compelled atmosphere back here. So <laughs> this is awesome. real life. Yeah. This is this, this is, is real life. Real life. Very much real life. So the way that the podcast got started was also out of real life. Um, when I got married, uh, you know, Sarah had known that I was really interested in new ideas and new projects. And I was very entrepreneurially inspired. Um, and I'd always been hustling and doing random side projects my whole life, uh, even though I had a regular job. And so at the time when we got married, I had a job. I'd been working in Texas politics for many years, and I was just a Texas political consultant uh, one year is about 2017, uh, 2018. Um, the Texas political cycle that year was just incredibly brutal. I had been unavailable for the family, even though I worked from home, I was just a workaholic, would not stop mm. working. Uh, and my emotions were wrapped up in the well-being of our political candidates. Mm. And so if the candidates did well, I was happy. If the candidates did poorly, I was upset. And I was just, re- I was just bringing home, I was bringing work back into our home life. Wow. And I worked yeah. from home. Yeah. And not only that, like, I mean, I was working like 70 hours a week and I barely yeah. saw my wife. And at the time we had one little girl, she was about uh, 10 months. And so I came back uh, out of that, uh, that election cycle. And my wife and I, we just talked and we said, we can no longer do this. This is unsustainable. Maybe that was okay for you to do when you were a young single man and you could work 70 hours a week. And then one was, you know, but now we're married, right? Mm-hmm. Like I need to see you, Paul. We need to talk face to face interaction every day. And your daughter is like 10 months old and she doesn't even know you. And you mm. work from your own home. Wow. This is crazy, you yeah. know? And so, yeah, we began praying like, you know, Lord, are there other things that we could do, right? Like politics is important and that's part of your kingdom. Uh, but my time in this has now come to an end. I need mm. to get out. Mm. Um, and so we're good. We're praying and trying to hold things with open hand. We end up going on a family vacation, had a great time. We went to the Ark Encounter, mm-hmm. we went yeah. to the Creation Museum. And to wrap it out, we went to the Christian Worldview Film Festival. Um, And there we were surrounded by all these creatives and hearing ideas. And again, my entrepreneurial instincts are coming back again. (laughs) And uh, at the end of that festival, we were really inspired. And we thought, like, maybe maybe God wants us to start a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And make videos, mm-hmm. like video testimonials. Maybe that's maybe we're just gonna make these testimony videos. Uh, you know, because again, we just come back to the, the film festival and we're thinking about things and and then we thought, hey, hey, you know, videos that that's still a lot of time, you know, like filming everything and mm-hmm. equipment and expense and hey, what about this podcast thing? Because it's just audio only. What about podcasting? Maybe we'll just do audio testimonies, maybe we'll just do that. And so uh so that's 
kind of how we stumbled our way into compelled. We committed to doing just one season. We did that season. Mm. We thought it was going to go viral and be explosive and have all this. <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, but it was it was compelling enough to us personally that we thought this is worth sticking in for the long haul. Yeah. And uh, we've now been doing it for now seven years now. And that's how compelled, just a small snippet of how compelled came about. Awesome. You know, I was um, I was uh, struck by the passage that Sarah shared in your behind the scenes, how Compel got started. And I loved almost like this anchor verse um, that I guess in the beginning uh, you guys were encouraged by. And, and I thought, oh, my goodness, that is so powerful. And she quoted Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us because mm. we just we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And I think, oh my goodness, if that doesn't describe what you guys are bringing to light, I just, I don't know what else. I mean, sure, there are other passages that you could use, but the fact that uh, compel um, is in that passage. And I had to look it up, right? Because I read NASB, but then I heard Sarah quote it and it was compelled. So I go ESV. Nope. Nope. And then I go King James. No, it's constraineth. And I was like, okay, well, what version is it? It's new King James. And I'm saying that because one of your listeners is going to be wondering, well, what translation is that? But I just love That's that. That's right. Well, you know- we actually, we found it in the Christian Standard Bible, so CSB, actually. CSB, so, okay. So CSB, CSB and NKJV, apparently both, yeah. But the, the main point, though, is that it compels us, right? Like, yes. it's not like we're forced to. Rather, it's that we desire to. Like, it's it, it's so powerful. It's like, wow, yes. we must live this way now. Like, mm. we actually want to live our lives changed by the one who changed our lives. Mm. And it's like this internal force. So like compelling is something that's inside of you, compelling you to love. And really that's the way that all of us Christians should live because that's what the apostle Paul is actually writing there in second Corinthians. But especially we find that true for all the podcast guests that we find. These are people whose lives have been so changed by God that now their outward lives Mm. are just completely different. And whatever they're doing today is totally affected, totally, you could see transformed and compelled mm-hmm. by the way that God already worked in their life. Amen. You know, we want to go ahead and kick it off, and I want to have you set this up for us. But before we do that, I want to shine the light on something that I thought was really neat, and I hadn't considered this before. You have a testimony that opens podcasts, your every episode of your podcast. You have someone um, kind of talk about why they listen to Compelled or how they found Compelled. And the one that opens this particular episode she mentioned something that I thought, you know, I had not considered this as a part of what draws us to compelled that we are interested. And and I know this sounds a little bit twisted, right? But come with me for a second, because it's redemptive through the ministry of compelled. But we're interested in depravity. Like we have, she talked about these crime shows and like watching <laughs> yeah. these crime shows, but then feeling depressed afterwards and just like something was missing. And then she found compelled. And as I was thinking about her testimony, I thought, you know, we are interested and curious about the fallenness of man. But in that curiosity, we long for, we desire something redemptive, but in the world, we just don't find it. And I love that compelled is different because it does paint the picture of the reality of who we are. Like we are depraved and we need Jesus. Mm -hmm. But when you listen to compelled, you get a picture of that redemption that you just don't get in the world. 
Yeah, yeah, I think it's really true. In fact, we just heard from another listener just like three days ago, actually. I got a message from somebody, and they mentioned that they're, they're mom. They've got four kids. They all go to swim practice. And so she's, she called herself a, a swim taxi, right? So she's always <laughs> taking her kids to swim practice. And so she has a lot of time in the car and she listens with the kids and they're older. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned that they enjoy listening to true crime shows. And that's a very popular genre, but that she had been feeling convicted because like, oh man, like a lot of these true crime shows, like, it's just like people are dying. And it's mm-hmm. just kind of like this, this, like uh, this morbid curiosity about like, how bad does it get? How yes. bad does it get? And then like, do they catch the villain at the end of the day kind of thing? And, 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 and there might be a place, I think there is a place for people to enjoy, like hearing like, you know, like, uh, I wouldn't say like morbid curiosity, but like places where like, okay, and then they caught the bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, do they mm-hmm. catch the villain? Yeah. Um, or, you know, a, a survival story. I love hearing stories of survival because I find them very uplifting, actually. So like, you know, Ernest Shackleton and the endurance. But anyways, but she reached out to us and she said, hey, you know, actually, we were just like, I was just trying to find something that like wasn't just so morbid. <laughs> and so she dropped off her kids at swim practice. She pulled up her phone and she just searched Christian testimonial. Mm. She stumbled across our show. She starts listening into the parking lot and just started weeping mm. because just realizing that her heart, and she mentions this in the little wow. message I'm getting. She said that she did not realize how she had actually been yearning to hear God's redemptive story in these stories and right but so people as humans we still love hearing a compelling story yes. we love to hear great stories right like we're not just trying to like oh you know like you know if you're a christian you got to stop listening to great stories you just got to consume really <laughs> boring stories you know no these are these are real stories but yeah. these are the stories of how god was at work something crazy was going on mm-hmm. and god was showing himself how powerful and mighty he was and really yes. that's i think that's the hallmark of every great compelled story mm. well let's get Amen. into it paul i mean we could not agree more give us a little bit of a setup for what we are about to hear from our brother hayden Sure, sure. So, so Hayden is a young guy. He's about 27 years old. I just interviewed him with this testimony about three weeks ago. He lives in New Orleans currently, but this story opens up when he lives in Memphis, Tennessee. Young kid. He's born in like 1995 or so. And so the story picks up right at the beginning, late 90s. uh, And that's where the story kicks off. All right. Well, let's listen. This episode contains descriptions of domestic violence and drug use and may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to the season seven premiere of Compelled, where every two weeks we use gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Today, our guest is Hayden Jernigan, who grew up in a home marked by chaos. Unsure of who loved him or who wanted him, Hayden pursued everything he thought would bring him happiness, including money, women, and drugs. Yet he was unaware that actually his entire life, there was someone who was pursuing him. So gather round, lean in, and join us for another compelling story from the kingdom of God. Three weeks ago, my buddy Gabriel and I took a whirlwind trip to New Orleans to record some podcast interviews, and a local church put us in touch with Hayden, and as soon as he arrived in the studio, we sat him down and began telling us a story from the late 90s, where he grew up on the east side of Memphis, Tennessee.
grew up running around, you know, pretty much a normal childhood in terms of playing with kids in the street and riding bikes and scraping up your knees and shooting basketball and hide and seek and things like that, you know, busting your toes, cutting your hands, all those different things. And this is actually one of my earliest memories. Um, me and my mom went to a grocery store. We're walking to the grocery store and you know the pack of roll-up gum, like the three foot long roll-up gum? I saw that, I just took it. I thought that's what a grocery store was. Like you just go and you take what you need. And I was like, this is great. And we get back in the car and I'm back there chewing my newfound gum. And my mom looks over and she goes, where did you get that? I go, well, I, I got it from the store. And she goes, you have to pay for that. I'm like, well, I don't have any money. <laughs> and she's like, that's called stealing. And she was really nice about it. And she kind of laughed it off a little bit. But I was like, well, well, and so innocent, right? I was like, well, what's wrong with stealing? She said, well, it's bad. It's bad to steal because people have worked for that. And I was like, well, what, what does it mean to be bad? And she was like, well, if you're bad all the time, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. I'm like, well, like what? <laughs> like, what, what are you getting at? And she told me that bad people go to hell. I remember that. I remember her telling me that bad people go to hell. And I was like, well, what, what is that? <laughs> like, what do you, wait a second. And she gives me this cardboard Bible story book. It's just about the flood, right? Noah and the ark. And... I read it and I remember I'm still like, wait a second, like bad people go to hell. I don't understand. And what I learned in that moment was good people go to heaven and get to be happy forever and bad people go to hell and they're sad forever. That was kind of what I walked away with from that experience. But I had this huge existential crisis at six years old about what is good and what is bad because I just had never thought about it before. Did you have any perception at all of a God or? I don't think I did. I think I heard about the story of Noah and the Ark. The thing that stuck out to me was the rainbow. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. This is saying that God made the rainbow and I've seen a rainbow before. And I, that must be real. I remember distinctly thinking that, but never anything much more than that at the time. Although he didn't realize it at the time, Hayden's life was far from normal. His parents had actually gotten divorced while his mom was still pregnant with him, and she remarried while he was still a toddler. They lived in a rough part of Memphis, and their house was always covered in filth. But of course, since Hayden grew up in this environment, he thought it was just normal life. Both of my, my stepdad and my mother, whom I lived with, were often on jobs, very dysfunctional lifestyles, was not bringing in a lot of income. At the time, it was just me and my older sister. And... In the midst of all this, a custody battle broke out between my mother and my grandmother for me. And that was totally unexpected. It didn't make any sense to me. I had no idea what was going on. But I remember one day I was in the bathtub, you know, playing with my ship and, you know, my bubbles. <laughs> and my grandmother, out of nowhere, busted in the bathroom door. And she was like, come on, get your towel. We're leaving. And I was, I was at first, I was like, Grammy, it's so good to see you. And I could see on her face like, oh, this isn't good, something's wrong. And so I wrapped up in a towel and she grabbed me by my arm and drug me outside. I'm soaking wet, holding on to this towel. There's police out there, my siblings, my two sisters are in with my mom's mom, so my other grandmother. They're in the vehicle with her and they're crying. 
My mom's arguing with police officers and my grandmother's towing me to her car. And when we walked past the police, my mom saw me and she freaked and she grabbed my arm and my grandmother and my mom are tugging me back and forth. And I, I remember my mom's words. She said, you are not taking away my baby. And she jerked me. And when she did, because I was wet, her hand slipped and she like cut my arm open right here. And I still have the scar and I started gushing blood and I'm crying. I have no idea what's going on. The police officers grab my mom. My grandmother pulls me in the car and we're headed to her house, which is like a 10 minute drive, 15 minute drive. And so I went from five minutes ago, I was sitting in the bathtub playing with my boat and my bubbles to I'm now bawling my eyes out in the car, soaking wet, wrapped in a towel, bleeding all over the place. Looking back, I had no idea how dysfunctional the home was. Now it all makes sense, right? Of, well, they were trying to get me out of this disgusting, trash infested, not being taken care of very well house. I mean, my mom just never cleaned. She had a, she had a really hard time maintaining the home and my stepfather had a really hard time supporting her. And so we kind of just lived in filth. But that was my normal. I didn't know any different. We would have neighbors come over and who would call DHS and report my mother multiple times and investigators would come and she would spend all day cleaning the house because they have to give you a warning and a notice before they come. And it was just this perpetual cycle of dysfunction. This custody battle ended up going to court. I remember walking up to the courthouse and just the massive stairway and the big pillars in the front of the courthouse and just had to sit in the hallway while my mother and my grandmother and the judge and all these different people disputed everything. You know, that was a traumatic experience for me. Uh, I didn't really have the faculties to process that event and to understand what was going on. And so I think I just really dissociated from a lot of that, a lot of that emotional pain and confusion um, and just kind of went into myself. While the court system worked its way through Hayden's custody case, he bounced around between his grandma's home and his mom's home, staying at either one intermittently. Three years passed until finally his mom and stepdad were able to move to a different home and both landed jobs. And the court finally agreed to let Hayden move back in with his mom and stepdad full time. But it became obvious right away that their life was still dysfunctional. During this time that I'm living with my mom, she pulled me out of school to help raise my siblings. I spent my days waking up early in the morning, changing diapers, cleaning sheets, making breakfast. Parents wouldn't get out of bed until noon most of the time or later. Sometimes they would leave for days at a time and I would have to cook dinner, cook lunch, change diapers, put the kids to bed, make bottles, all those things. And how old were you at that point? 10, 11 years old. And was your stepdad still living with you guys? He was still living there. He started to become very bitter and very mean. I think he always was at the time, but a lot of that aggression was pointed towards me. I felt like an outsider. Me and my older sister were the only one of the children who weren't his. And so it was very evident in the home that that was the case. Constantly being grounded for like months at a time for very trivial things. And becoming very isolated, very depressed. And I remember I would get these horrible stomach cramps as a kid um, where I would just like double over and just have to wait for them to pass for several minutes at a time. And sometimes like most of the day, looking back, I was anxious. <laughs> 
my body was just experiencing all this stress and I started to have these stomach cramps. I was just a really anxious young kid. My stepdad continued to get more aggressive verbally, more emotionally kind of abusive. I remember there were times he would almost in a jovial sense, like, hey, come here, I, I want to show you something. And he was, a, he was a black belt in karate. And he would be like, I want to show you this cool karate trick. And the next thing I know, I'm like almost blacked out on the ground from, you know, this karate move. Yeah, that was, that was pretty terrible. Would your mom ever intervene in a moment? She like that? would never, never intervene. I remember many times that we would argue or I would get in trouble and I would look to my mom and I'd be like, you know, this is wrong. And she could never say anything. Um, and he just had this dogmatic grip on the household. I had this purple bicycle. It used to be in my sister's, but she grew out of it. It was a little too big for me, but I rode the snot out of that thing. And every time things in the house would get heated, I would take this bike and ride away because it was an escape from all the chaos. Um, my older sister, she, at 12 years old, she went completely deaf randomly, just completely lost her hearing over the course of like a month or two. When she first started going deaf, I didn't believe her, so I would sneak in the bedroom real quiet in the middle of the night and hover over her and scream as loud as I could to try to wake her up and freak her out. And she never would wake up, and every time I was like, she heard me. She heard me coming in. She knew. And my mother and my stepdad did not have the resources to care for her well. So my grandmother on my mother's side took her into Massachusetts, and she left and went to a boarding school. I remember being really angry at her for that because her and I were super tight. With his older sister gone and his stepdad's increasingly abusive behavior, Hayden felt more and more isolated. A family from a local church would sometimes come by to bring a meal, but they didn't really understand what was going on. But things really came to a head one day when Hayden was 11. My stepdad was really grumpy one day, and I had this huge bookshelf in my bedroom and I spent all day organizing in alphabetical order all my books. And my little sister, she thought that it would be an awesome idea in her three or four-year-old mind to take every single book and throw it on the ground. And I was outside playing, and I came inside, and she's like pulling all my books down. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I grabbed her hand, and I smacked it. And she, you know, like, just started bawling and crying and wailing and she went and ran to my stepdad and I was like oh no I am about to die and so I just cower in my room and my stepdad comes in there like a raging bull and he had um, epilepsy so he had to walk with a cane and he came in and he picked me up and he threw me on the ground and he put the cane over my neck and he was choking me and he said, if you ever touch my daughter again, I will kill you. Do you hear me? I will kill you. And I just remember in that moment, like I just completely froze. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know what to say. I remember being scared for my life after that. Couldn't look at him, couldn't speak to him. And a week after this happened, my grandmother would call Neither my mom nor my stepdad messed with my grandmother. If she said she wanted to talk to me, no matter how grounded I was or what, they would be like, okay. And she said she wanted to talk to me. I just started crying to her. I'm like, I just don't want to be here. I want to 
I want to leave. I want to come see you. And she's like, well, your grandfather just came through town. I'm like, call him right now and tell him to come back. I want to see him. And so she does some convincing to my mother and tells them to let me come visit her to see my grandfather. And so we all go over there and my grandfather, who was already six hours in the opposite direction, turned around and came back. And when we got there, we're waiting for my grandfather and I pulled my grandmother aside and I was just crying uncontrollably. And she was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I told her what happened with my stepdad. And she, <laughs> she was like, I'm calling the police. And she goes, no, wait, 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 we can be smart about this. And when my grandfather got there and it was kind of late in the evening, um, they had a conversation. They were like, well, let us take Hayden for the summer. Y'all take a break. Let us take him for the summer. And, you know, we'll bring him back. We'll go from there. And they're like, no, we don't want to do that. And I remember crying to my mom, like, please let me go. Please let me go. Please, please, please. I was so terrified to go back home, like anything but going back home. She eventually said yes. Um, Part of that was because my grandmother's like, I'll pay a month of your bills and I'll pay your car note for you. Um, Just let him go for the summer. And so she did. The one thing I didn't know is that that would be the last time that I would ever see my mom. And nothing really could have prepared me for that. And just like that, Hayden hopped into the backseat of his grandpa's car with a small pile of his belongings and they drove off, which would start a new chapter in Hayden's life, which you'll hear more about right after the break. 95% of all startup businesses fail, and that's not great. But not enough entrepreneurs realize that only 5% of business acquisitions fail. Blue Collar Millionaire wants to help you succeed in business. Business can be good if you know where to look, what to look for, and how to acquire what you find. That's what Blue Collar Millionaire is all about. Kevin, Mark, and Chris are three normal guys who grew their blue collar businesses into seven figure successes. Now, they are helping others do the same thing. You can learn more when you visit bluecollarmillionaire.net. That's bluecollarmillionaire.net. Let their proven strategies teach you how to purchase into instant cash flow, processes, and systems that create the lifestyle you've dreamed of. It's time for your hard work to work hard for you. Discover the war room at bluecollarmillionaire.net. That's bluecollarmillionaire.net. Welcome back to Compel. Hayden Jernigan had grown up in a tumultuous home, but after his stepfather threatened to kill him, Hayden had a spur of the moment chance to go live with his grandpa Joe, a pastor of a small church in Amarillo, Texas. I left with my grandfather, went to Texas, and on the drive there, I remember my grandfather looking at me and he said, you're never going back there um, because of what happened. I got so excited I just felt so much relief, and I I remember that moment vividly where it just, I probably would have cried had I been even more aware of what was going to change for me. This is the first time that I start to hear the Gospels with my grandfather. I had to go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday, and had no idea what was being said. You know, there was a lot of charismatic speaking in tongues and dancing up and down the aisles and having people come and 
having interpreters and just, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I have no idea what is going on at all. Um, but my grandfather knew someone who was a principal at a accelerated program, which was a Christian school. And so they enrolled me in that and I started to get the education that I needed. And it was set up that you're not in a particular grade, you work through material based on where you're at. And so I started doing that, started getting caught up. And that was the first time things started to feel somewhat normal. And that sense of like constant fear and constant insecurity started to go away. Fast forward, I'm 13 going through school and they had this huge revival, like, I mean, like 300 people there and people were just giving their life to Jesus and just going up on stage and confessing that Jesus was Lord over their life and confessing that they wanted Jesus in their hearts. And I thought it was so cool. Still didn't understand what was happening. Still didn't understand the weight of sin, the forgiveness of sin or anything like that. Really didn't understand the gospel. I just knew Jesus was this guy who died on a cross and rose from the dead. And that made no sense in my mind. And he asked if, if anybody wants to experience this, come up on stage. I'm like, well, I want to experience that. So I came up on stage and it was the most intimidating thing ever. And I still remember how scared I was to stand in front of all these people on this stage. He's like, do you give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior? Yes. And I praise the Lord and the music plays and everyone roars. And I'm like, wow, that was awesome. Absolutely nothing changed for me. I didn't have any ownership of faith at all. And I thought about God all the time in terms of like, are you real? If you're really real, prove it. I prayed that prayer for years. I was like, God, if you're real, like, prove it. If you're this like miraculous being or person, like, I want to see it. Nothing. And so I might go on about my life. When Hayden turned 13, the unthinkable happened. His actual biological dad, who he had never lived with, reached out and invited Hayden to move in with him. And of course, Hayden said yes. But after a year, his dad's housing situation fell apart and Hayden was forced to leave yet once again. His grandpa was too elderly to take him in a second time. So Hayden bounced around between his grandma's home in Memphis, trying to live again with his dad, and then eventually finally running away from home until the police picked him up at which point Hayden ended up back in Memphis a final time with his grandma once again. His mom and stepdad had moved out of the state without even bothering to tell Hayden. His grandma enrolled him in a local Christian private school, and Hayden was still praying constantly, asking God to prove that he was real. But it felt like the prayers went nowhere. He was in high school by now and struggling with thoughts of rejection, feeling as though no one in his family really wanted to keep him. So Hayden reacted by pursuing everything that the world had to offer, including girls, alcohol, and drugs. I became so rebellious at this time. I started partying more. I started drinking. I was pretty large and strong for my age, you know, and everyone in school was like, oh, Hayden, you're so cool. And, you know, just kind of top tier athlete in my mind. And really just, I was hurting. And I was doing all this stuff to cover it up, uh, and it worked at the time. It wasn't long before I started to figure out how to get more promiscuous and, you know, working that through Facebook and social media, connecting with girls and doing that all the time. And I ended up meeting this one girl, and 
we hit it off and she became like my entire world. You know, we dated, I think, for like two and a half years and this incredibly toxic relationship built just purely on sensuality. And when we fought, it was emotionally abusive. It was just horrible in every way. And she was a year ahead of me. She was in college two hours away. So I would like sneak out all the time at like 10 or 11 at night and drive two hours and stay there and then come back the next thing in the morning and just like, just so chaotic, you know, and then go to school and go to football practice and leave and do it again. But me and this girl are hooking up a lot and she ends up getting pregnant, 17 years old. She was 18. I found out and had no idea, like my whole world was shattered. I was like, what? Like I, didn't, I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> like, what? I just could not conceptualize that. And she just fell on the floor when she told me, just weeping. And I went home and I'm trying to figure out like what I'm gonna do with my life. And she sends me a text and she says, I just want you to know that all options are on the table. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she was like, all options are on the table. And so I freaked out because she was talking about abortion. And I called my grandmother and I told her what happened. And I told her how scared I was and what my girlfriend just said. And so my grandmother goes to the school principal and asks for help. She's like, hey, this happened. I don't know what to do. Can y'all help me? Y'all are a Christian private school. What can we do? And the principal was like, I'm sorry, we can't help you. He has to withdraw or we're going to expel him. And so my grandmother was like, what? And so they kicked me out and I have to go to public school so that I can get my high school diploma. And I remember getting so angry, filled with rage, and just rebelling more and more. And so I, I'm like, I start meeting all these cats at school and start partying more, start drinking more, start smoking more. And as all this is going on, you know, me and the girlfriend were arguing about wanting to keep this baby and she just flat out told me after a couple of weeks, she's like, I'm getting an abortion. And I'm like, whatever. And I spiraled down in a deep depression and she followed through with it. From the time span of when I found out that my girlfriend was pregnant, that was in September. She had an abortion in November and my mother passed away December 28th. She took some pills that under alcohol and it slowed her heart and her heart just stopped in her sleep. Um, I remember finding out um, I was at a party and I woke up hungover at a party to a phone call um, that she had passed away. I just remember becoming so numb and angry. Um, really I was angry at myself but just angry at the world and after that happened that was just a loose cannon. One night I was partying with some guys and this dude that we had never met, he starts hanging out with us and he had shown us that he had a bunch of money. I was like, I got way more money than y'all got, da, 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 da. And my friend texts me, he was like, you want to rob this guy? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so the night progresses and the guy asks us for a ride home and we're like, yeah, yeah, we'll take you home. Yeah, took the guy home. When he stepped out of the car, we grabbed him and we totally jumped him, took his wallet, beat him up really bad. This kid was unrecognizable and drive off and leave him in his front yard. 
the guy that I was with, his father was chief of police in that town. Something that you would think you might even, you know, consider, didn't consider it at all. So his dad starts calling uh, immediately because the names got thrown around and everything. Like, I need to know if y'all did this. If you did, I can help you. If you didn't, then fine. Like we, but if you if you did do this, I need to know now. Don't lie to me. And we're like, no, no, we didn't do it. No. And a week later, uh, the police call me and they're like, hey, you need to come in right now. We're going to put out a warrant for your arrest. And so I come in and they interrogated me for two hours. And they're like, look, if you don't tell us what happened and we compile evidence that this did happen, like you're going to be in way more trouble than if you fess up now. That when the cop tells me that, I felt so much remorse and so much sorrow. And I was like, I deserve whatever punishment they give me. And so I fessed up. And it was a relief. It's like, yes, I did it. Here's what happened. I told the truth. And they interrogated the guy that I was with, and he doubled down and lied. And so it looked really bad on us that he lied and I told the truth. And so they locked us up for two weeks. After two weeks, Hayden was released on probation, but immediately went back to his life of drinking and drugs and was subsequently rearrested and sentenced to jail again for six months at the age of 19. I'm in the penal farm. I mean, people always ask me, what are you doing here? Like, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? And I, for the first time, was like, I deserve to be here. I am such a menace to society that they've taken away my privileges to exist in society. And I remember that just hit me like a truck. I was like, wow, I, I have lived in such a way that society has deemed me unfit to function in public. And I would just weep every night over that. And this was the very first time that I grabbed a Bible and opened it up and tried to read it. And I would look at it and I would read it and it made no sense to me. But I would still, just something about having it made me feel some sense of comfort. Like there's something here, I don't know what it is. And I believe that was when the Lord really started pursuing me. I would go to the local chaplain service every Sunday and just hearing the comfort that God promised and the promises of God soothed my anxiety and my fear. No profession of faith, no real understanding of salvation, no real understanding of sin yet, but I knew that just the gospel itself was like somehow soothing to me. I started crying out. I started praying like, God, if you're real, if this is real, like show yourself, right? That old prayer that I've been praying for a long time. If you're real, show yourself. If you're real, show yourself. If you're real, show yourself, like prove it. I gotta see it. I gotta know that you're real, nothing. And so I think I definitely, I even had an anger or resentment towards God of like, if you are real, then like, how dare you play games with me? Um, But yeah, no heart change. And I thought I had a heart change. I get out after three months. I'd like convinced myself that like, I'm gonna be different. I'm I'm gonna live in moderation. This taught me a lesson. But what it really taught me was how to be more secretive and more deceitful. Moderation is dangerous because I ended up doing way more drugs and partying way harder than I did before. I just got a lot better at staying out of trouble. I get out, like I said, and I'm partying more, I'm drinking more, I'm selling drugs more. 
Uh, I'm pursuing women way more, just live an extremely promiscuous lifestyle. But I become so dissatisfied more than I ever have, just depressed and angry and anxious and confused and fearful of everything. I started to get into welding and steel construction, which was a very lucrative work in Memphis. There's a ton of construction going on at the time. And so was making pretty good money, which was not a good thing for me because I was just blowing it on drugs and alcohol. But what happened from the time I got a vehicle, 17, 18, I was getting speeding tickets left and right. And come home one day and I get a letter in the mail from the Department of Transportation of Tennessee. And they're like, hey, we've reviewed your driving record and it's absolutely horrible. So we're going to revoke your license for a year. And I was like, man, whatever. Kept driving, driving through town one day, get pulled over, go straight to jail for driving on a suspended license. And that happened three other times. And so eventually I'm like, okay, I guess I can't drive anymore. And when that happened, I lost my job. I lost my house. And because I lost that, I lost a lot of my friend groups and my circles. I couldn't afford to pay for drugs or alcohol as much. A lot of the women that I was pursuing didn't want to hang out with someone who didn't have money. And all of a sudden, I have absolutely nothing. By this time, Hayden's grandma wouldn't let him live with her anymore. But after he promised to clean up his act and stop doing drugs, she said that he could stay in her rental house and she'd give him a hundred bucks a week until he could get another job. But of course, Hayden had no intention of changing his lifestyle. But God had other plans. More on that after the break. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you are enjoying what you hear, please remember to give it a rating or to leave a comment. Let people know that this podcast is a blessing to you. It helps to grow Culture Proof and we would be so grateful. Also, if you love Culture Proof and you want to support the ministry, why not pick up some merch and look good while you support the ministry of Culture Proof? Check out every podcast. You'll find a link in the description to where you can get your Culture Proof merch and support this ministry. We appreciate it. Welcome back. Hayden's self-destructive lifestyle was on a roll and had no signs of stopping. After multiple stints in jail for assault, theft, drugs, and now driving violations, Hayden didn't really care about the consequences of anything. He was just living to please himself. Sure, he had prayed hundreds, if not thousands of times over the years, asking God to prove himself real, but God had always stayed silent. That is, until now. I had a friend come back from Mexico, and he's like, dude, I got this, this LSD from Mexico, and it is top-tier stuff, man. And all I had was $10 to my name. I'd already blown that $100 from my grandma and whatever. And I was like, here, last $10, give it to me. And so we take these drugs, you know, we're tripping out and we're having fun and we're looking at stuff and, you know, just getting high and being crazy. And we go outside and it's like midsummer in Memphis. It's like 85 degrees and humid at midnight. And we're like, let's start a fire because that's awesome. And so we literally just throw this log in a pit, douse it in lighter fluid and light it. And I take this bong and I hold it up in the air 
And I start dancing circles around this fire and like chanting. We're laughing, we think it's the funniest thing in the world and we're cutting up and we're walking back inside and my friend's like, oh man, that's so funny. I can't believe you just worshiped a bong. And when he said that, it pierced my heart. And I was like, what'd you just say? You know, he's laughing. He's like, I can't believe you just worshiped a bong, man. That's crazy that you just did that. And I'm like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And he goes, you literally held a bong up in your hands, pointed it to the sky, danced circles around a fire and chanted to it. And when he said that, I felt like he was looking right at me, like his words went right through me. And I was so convicted. And I got mad at him. I was like, don't say that. Don't, don't say that kind of stuff, man. Like, I don't like that. I don't like the way that sounds. And he just kind of laughed it off. He was like, whatever, dude, and went in the other room. And I was sitting there and I was like, worship the ball. Like, that's disgusting. Worship this, this like piece of glass, this life, like what? And I get so in my head and I, I go in my room and I lay down on my bed and I'm just thinking like, worship this, like, like, do I worship this lifestyle? Like, what's the first thing that I think about when I wake up and the last thing I think about before I go to bed? How can I get high? How can I get money? And how can I hook up with a girl? Those are the first things I think about before I start my day and before I go to sleep. I was like, I, I guess I do worship this lifestyle. I started praying out of anger. I was like, God, why would you let all this happen to me? Like, why would you let me get to this place where I'm worshiping this? I don't want this. You've, you've brought me here. And I'm looking at all these things in my life from my childhood, my stepdad, the way that he was treating me, all the dysfunction of going back and forth and back and forth, and my dad not being able to have his life together, my mother, not me not being able to see her again or speak to her again, all these different things, and me fighting with my grandmother, me getting in trouble, all this dysfunction. And I'm bringing it to God and I'm like, why would you let all these things happen to me if you truly cared? If you're truly this all loving God, then why would you let this happen to me? I just started weeping and I kind of blacked out. And I had a vision. And in this vision, it was pitch black and I was walking down the side of this mountain. And I had these really heavy stones in each of my hands. And I come around the mountainside and I look off and in the pitch black, there's this huge fire. And there's this massive group of people around the fire and they're naked and they're having sex and there's music playing and they're dancing around the fire. And in the middle of the fire, there's a golden calf. I look down and I'm holding stone tablets in my hands. And I felt the rage of Moses and threw the tablets down. And then I came back to. After I just danced circles around a fire holding a bong in my hand, that was the vision of exactly what the Israelites were doing when they ran from God and turned away from him. I couldn't tell you when I had ever heard that story of that happening. I mean, I knew that 
Moses was given the Ten Commandments, but all the details that I couldn't have, I could not have depicted that for you on the, in that moment apart from that experience. And I started to cry out to God. And I was like, God, I have, I've done nothing to worship you, to live for you. I've done nothing. If I died right now, I would go straight to hell. I didn't hear an audible voice in my head. I didn't hear this deep thundering voice, but in my spirit, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, you could never do enough. And that's why I sent my son to die for you. Oh, it's so unfair to leave it there, Paul. It is so unfair. But I've, I've got to say, as as much as we are all leaned in right now, um, our listeners have an opportunity to go to compelledpodcast.com if they are not already subscribed and they can hear the rest of Hayden's yeah. powerful testimony because testimonies really yeah. are an encouragement to the body of Christ. They are definitely an encouragement. Man, it's power in that. When I hear the testimonies of believers, I'm strengthened. Yes. You know, and I'm thinking yes. about the yeah. scripture in, in Revelation chapter 12 said now the, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down mm. he who accuses them bef- before God day and night and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony Amen. and they did not love their life even when faced with uh, death. And man, there's something empowering about the testimony of, of the believer. And every yes. time I hear a compelled episode, I think, man, what a great God. He redeems Amen. us. You know, he sets us free. Yes. Like, he breaks the chains. And so it's just awesome to hear this. Man, I love the way you say that. What a great God. I mean, he is mighty to save. And that's yes. what these compelling testimonies show. Paul, I'm wondering this, um, before we go out of this episode of our podcast, can you kind of give us some hints of what we can expect in season seven like just anything sure sure so other episodes that we've got in the queue and i can't tell you too much about these of shows, course but, uh again these are some really great stories we're really excited about some of these so uh you know and if you probably noticed like this episode that we just listened to it, it was pretty heavy right mm-hmm. like there's some heavy stuff in there um we've got a few other episodes that are going to be probably adults only one of the episodes coming out which is a topic that very few people talk about is uh, we have a girl who was addicted to pornography. Wow. And she's going to share her testimony. And that's very rare in the mm-hmm. Christian yes. sphere. Like, you know, it's, it's a big enough deal for men to talk about their porn addiction. Mm-hmm. But for women, that's even more taboo. So mm-hmm. she's got a really great testimony of the Lord um, wow. releasing her from that. Uh, we've got another story, a guy from uh, Kenya who grew up uh, as an orphan. Uh, essentially, and just lived on the streets eating banana peels and just completely oh. destitute until Christian missionaries came and adopted mm. him. Uh, <laughs> so that's a powerful story. Wow. And then one other actually that we've got is a story with a, a guy that was a gangster. He sold drugs on the street. He ran with a gang and yet he did not use drugs and he did not curse. And his hmm. local gang called him the preacher man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. And the and the Lord saved his life in a very radical way as well. So those are just wow. a handful of the stories that you can look forward to this season. We've got, we'll have 10 episodes total this season. So we'll start running episodes from right now today. 
all the way up until I think about the end of June. So they release every two weeks, uh, every every other Tuesday at compelledpodcast.com. Paul, how can Culture Proof listeners support your ministry? How can we both pray for you and financially see to it that this work, this incredible work mm. of telling about the power of God, um, that it continues? What What can we do? Well, first off, yeah, you're welcome to pray for us. Uh, my wife is actually starting a prayer list this week, actually, a prayer team. If you want to join our prayer team, you can just uh, email her at Sarah with an H. So Sarah at compelledpodcast.com. Um, and that'll be a very infrequent email update, just kind of like once a month, just like, hey, here's some behind the scenes stuff that we need to you know, prayer for. We're trying to make decisions about things. Mm. Um, so that's an active way that we're looking for prayer help right now. Um, and then if, uh, if you want to support us financially, again, you could go to our website, compelledpodcast.com slash donate and contribute there. One of the perks that we do for listeners who give us a monthly contribution of any size, three bucks, 10 bucks, whatever it is, whatever works for your budget. But we send each of our episodes to you about a week early, actually. Mm -hmm. So you'll get to, to listen a little bit earlier than the rest of the regular audience. And you'll get access to all our behind the scenes content as well. Wow. You know, our culture has picked up on the reality that we are fascinated um, by the fallenness of man, and our culture has really capitalized on that. But what our culture cannot do is it cannot point to the goodness of God, and the Compelled Podcast does that, and that is countercultural. And so you guys are re resisting, you're resisting yes. the cultural trends that rival the truth. And so Compelled Podcast is culture-proof. So we... <laughs> That's right. I can do it Whoa, with anything. I, I thought about that's great. That's great. Yeah, just give me a second. I can find the resistance in everything, Paul. Uh -huh. Hey, Paul, we appreciate you. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining us. Thanks, guys.